Hello, and you are listening to the Hackable You podcast. But before we begin, I have a quick message, and that is this podcast episode took a day and an age to get out. We apologise for that. We were thwarted by blue screens of death, computers dying. Midway through the recording, Alex and I have felt the pain massively trying to get this one out to you. So apologies for the slightly shorter one. However, we do believe it's still as good as ever with our great content from the Hackable U team. We hope you enjoy this one and we look forward to having hopefully some drama-free episodes and recordings in the future. Enjoy the episode, everyone. Hello, you're listening to the Hackable You podcast. It's season three. We're back, ready for another year of talking about cyber news, our interesting topic of the week, and our exclusive segment, Secrets from the Sock. I'm joined tonight by Alex. Will uh, can't make it tonight, which is a shame, but I hope he's having a good evening anyway. But Alex, how are you? It's a bit too late to say Happy New Year and all that jazz, but uh, yeah, how are you? how's it going? Yeah, I'm going to say it anyway. Happy New Year really good to be back um yeah it's been strange to not be doing it for a while but it's definitely nice to get back into the swing of things and a happy 2022 really work gets extremely busy doesn't it when you come back after christmas i just feel like you always get that kind of slow wind down you know last few days just before christmas pretty chill and then like this year thankfully i was able to take a nice break over christmas and then you come back to work and it just feels like you're non-stop for at least well, up until right now, right, we've really struggled to find the time just to link up with us and time zones and work time zones. It's been, a, you know, we've been juggling, haven't we? Yeah, I think it's all the unread emails that sort of build up over time and time of being off. And not even to mention Log4j that broke at the worst possible time over the seasonal period. So, yeah, far from ideal, but it is good to be back into the scene of things and uh, refreshed, I, I think, is the term that I'd use. You'll find it funny, like... We're not talking about it today, but there is an interesting article on a threat post written by John Hammond that talks about that, you know, Log4J is not dead yet. Like, it's not gone. It's not behind us. I think we mentioned this in the podcast anyway. Like, it's never going to go. It's always going to be hanging around because people won't update stuff. But, uh, yeah, like, just as we thought it was behind us, someone has to bring back an article which gave me cold sweats when I first read the headline. <laughs> yeah, proper nightmares. <laughs> anyway, with that being said, let's jump into some of the cyber news over the last couple of weeks. Well, first up, I think, you know, we're going to have a little bit of a shock and horror ransomware theme because uh, there's been a little bit of uh, news and updates in the ransomware world within the cybersecurity sphere over the last few weeks or so. And the first one I wanted to touch upon was an article I actually read on the register. It's quite rare for me. I don't really read the register. I don't know. It's not one of my, my go-to news sites but it's basically saying how the UK, United States and Australia have issued a joint advisory basically saying that ransomware is uh, a major risk again they've seen it uh, growing exponentially in its uh, in its impact but also in its proliferation through the ether um, and this is ransomware specifically targeted at critical national infrastructure so I can quote directly from the article here just to give it a little bit of flavour but it says in a joint UK, US, Australia advisory issued this afternoon on Wednesday, the 9th of February. Three countries, the three countries have said they observed an increase in sophisticated, high impact ransomware incidents against critical infrastructure organisations globally. 
The warning comes hot off the heels of several high-profile attacks against the oil distribution companies and also businesses that operate ports in the West. Though today's notes insist that there was a move by criminals away from big game hunting US targets. Maybe that's because of the whole like colonial pipeline attack and dark side kind of got outed or do you reckon about that? That being said though, I think as much as this is news, it's not news. It's good to see the three nations coming together. I wonder what happened to the other two that make up the five eyes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, post-Christmas family fallout, yeah, right? Like a fight on the WhatsApp group or something. <laughs> The NCSC actually told the register uh, that today's warning was not linked to any potential Russian invasion of Ukraine, which I find really interesting because, you know, we haven't really touched on it at all um, over the last few podcasts or as it's been kind of uh, driving up in the news. The the whole Russia-Ukraine link, although it's kind of boots on the ground, very much territory warfare, um, you know for a fact with a nation like Russia, it's going to be based on cyber. And I read a really interesting little snippet in the Metro a couple of weeks ago, or maybe it was last week, that basically said the UK Foreign Secretary, and like almost verbatim quote says, we'll provide support in aid, troops, and cyber. And I don't know, it's just the first time I'd seen, but almost mentioned as a bit of a throwaway comment. Like it's no surprise we'll send... I think it's because it's now like a real thing, right? Usually, or... 10 20 years ago you wouldn't think of cyber as being part of mainstream warfare with the offensive and like both defensive capabilities yeah we've we've definitely spoken about this before how we like to see when nations and companies nations not companies we like to see when <laughs> nations kind of go out of their way to say we've we've conducted these offensive operations or we've had you know an impact on xyz based on our kind of cyber offensive operations it's normally a little bit more poignant, I guess. They make a point of proving it. Whereas now it's a little bit like, yeah, we're providing the right sort of aid. And, you know, just so people don't forget, cyber is part of this as well. I don't know, it just resonated with me. I just like that it's now on the forefront. You know, it's there. It's real. Absolutely, absolutely. What do you make of this generic threat anyway of ransomware against critical national infrastructure? What do you think the major risks to every Tom, Dick and Harry is? Well, really big, to be honest with you. Like this, the CNI, you know, the infrastructure traditionally is very sort of gas, electric, oil, all those sort of key things that you need to operate. And in a nutshell, it's you know, denial of those services is where's that going to leave you? It might not seem like it's going to affect everyone who it down onto the ground, but it actually, the ramifications are you know, pretty big. And I think this has come about because um, lots of people are starting to pay ransoms, and um, we've seen this a hell of a lot. Um, and you know the 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 the, the, the issue behind that is paying ransom does just perpetuate the fact that ransomware does pay. And you know if we got the situation where nobody ever paid the ransom, would the threat actors think you know eh, this is probably not worth it anymore? So we're going to stop. It's definitely food for thought, but I can see where the three nations are on this one. It's like old coins in crypto, right? If people are making money from it, or like NFTs. It's exactly the same kind of stance. People see nft prices go through the roof for just a picture of a bored ape you know and <laughs> someone buys it but it proliferates through and through and through people see this as a credible source of income it's no different in the criminal world and especially with ransomware where the payouts are exponentially high your point is so 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 true like if you pay you're just giving more fuel to the fire to say this is actually worthwhile going after and let's be honest it's a lot easier said than done right to be honest with you totally like if you're losing a million pounds a day and the ransom is smaller than that 
it could be argued that it's worth paying the ransom to restore operation to your business um, but obviously there are various views on what you should do with ransomware payments our view is probably always been not to pay but you can sort of see where some people may be forced into doing that yeah definitely just like on this topic specifically around critical national infrastructure do you think that what we believe or perceive to be critical national infrastructure has changed over the pandemic because like in my mind cni start you know really starts as kind of your water supply energy supply um any form of like healthcare health services potentially could be included within that but with the likes of covid and seeing the world kind of grind to the halt we then started to see everyone that worked under that banner of essential workers right or, or key workers that included people within supermarkets people providing some form of other types of home care services and all of these you know additional outliers are now considered to be part of some form of critical national infrastructure so do you think that kind of gatepost has has opened and widened and therefore that's why we're seeing an increase in these cyber attacks against basically a, a bigger category or do you actually think it still remains that subset of you know what i previously mentioned and that we're seeing more attacks against those type of companies i think it's a really interesting discussion and it's a, probably for another time to be honest but you're right the goalposts have absolutely moved from what people would consider critical national infrastructure or even just national infrastructure because traditionally we're looking at the waters the gas the electric supply all your basic sort of needs that you that you do need to live but I would argue that the internet, you know, everything is hyper-connected now. The internet is one of those national infrastructures that is extremely important, and without it, we're in trouble. And taking it even more granularly, really, if we're looking at sort of specific parts of the internet and specific services, um, if you just have a look at, like, Facebook going down, for example, and how many businesses had relied on facebook and the functionality that that gives suddenly you find yourself in a situation where there are organizations that just can't function because a small portion of the internet isn't working so yeah to your point absolutely really really interesting i'd love to discuss it further really what is considered critical national infrastructure or national infrastructure uh, has definitely widened depending on who you're talking to but also depending on the sort of the day and the age really yeah as only recently right facebook had that massive dns problem yeah, exactly. I think it really does just hammer home in the modern way. You know, who would have ever thought that Facebook going down would have such a big ramification on businesses and organisations? But actually, there are lots of people that rely on certain functionalities in that area. Yeah, and I think that's fantastic food for thought. It's so, so, so true, though. You'd like to think that, I don't know, CNI tends to be your, you know, your bare minimum or it used to be considered as the bare minimum, like what you need just to live. You know, you need your heating ability to eat, ability to, to get stay warm, you know, and the ability to travel to work and earn money. They tended to be the kind of key cornerstones around CNI, but you're absolutely right. The, the definition of those are changing. So, yeah, I think to wrap this particular story up, this article or this announcement from the UK, the US and Australia around um, this advisory that ransomware is becoming rampant again against CNI has you know, hidden messages, undertones that mean that if you're working in one of those organisations or you're leading one of those organisations, now's the time to really switch on to 
potential impact and uh, and don't just sit there and think oh I do this I'm not critical at all or you know I can't form those bounds see how your users how your customers how your target market audience utilize your service and do the, does people's income and ability to earn money ability to pay the heating bill ability to feed their friends and family is that part of your platform yeah completely agree so staying on that theme then Alex you mentioned this to me earlier around um we're talking about Puma, weren't we, and the ransomware attack against Puma. Yep. What has happened there? Fill me in. Yeah, so sportswear manufacturer Puma. Are, are they still relevant? They still do sportswear? I don't know. I don't wear sportswear. I don't do sports. <laughs> they definitely were. They definitely were. I think they were big, maybe in the 90s. But sportswear manufacturer Puma was hit by data breach following a ransomware <laughs> attack that hit Kronos, which was a workforce management supply. And this happened in t- December 2021 or December 2021, if you're normal. So the data breach notification was filed with several attorney general's offices earlier on this month to say the attackers also stole personal information relating to Puma employees and their dependents uh, from a service known as Kronos Private Cloud. Um, this is pretty big. This is impacting roughly, I think, half of Puma employees, which is about 6,000. I think, uh, you know, it's had a real big impact on Puma, right? So it's it's had thousands, thousands of people have been affected. It's almost half of all Puma's employees have been impacted by this attack. Um, and in one of the quotes uh, from one of the articles that you're referencing here, it says that since the attack was discovered, Cronus has been conducting a comprehensive review of the impact in the environment to determine whether any individual's personal information was subject to any unauthorized access or acquisition. On January the 7th, 2022, Cronus confirmed that some of your personal information was among the stolen data. We notified Puma on this incident on the 10th of January, 2022. Big Big mess up, right? Considered supply chain attack as well, I guess. Yeah, sort of another one hitting all the right buzzwords, right? Double extortion, ransomware, supply chain attack. Um, just being, imagine being one of these employees receiving that notification. You, you wouldn't be very happy, would you? But then again, that being said, half of them probably don't really care. Um, another bunch of them probably considering class action, you know, with the ambulance chasers out there. And then another few of them are probably just enjoying their free ID check that are being given by Experian. Um, you know, it's also social security numbers were also breached. So it's just another one of these things that you think really, again, like we should be taking the steps to stop these sorts of things from happening, even down to our supply chain. Absolutely. Always the way. They they actually, um, you know, aside from the employee data that was stolen, hackers also stole source code for one of Puma's, Puma, Puma? <laughs> Puma. I can do it now. Puma, yeah. Uh, hackers also stole source code for an internal application in August. And that was put up for sale on Marketo Data Leak Portal. So, you know, they've been hit a few times, you know, and to have source code like that stolen and then uploaded onto a Data Leak Portal is quite interesting as well because, I don't know, it must be a fairly important internal application for it to have, for it to be warrant to be dumped on a site like that rather than just some noddy, you know, tool that is very, very specific to the use cases. If it operates within any form of finance teams or any form of kind of engineering teams, definitely that's going to be have definitely that's going to have some major impact on the use of that application in moving forward. We've both worked in it, right? Organizations that have got many, many internal tools, or they've had well-known tools that have been so over-configured over the years, they basically become their own proprietary tool. So where you're looking at kind of other startup type companies or 
people moving out to the cloud, they're going for these SaaS solutions where they're totally reliant on uh, that to work and their uptime to be there. And if the source code gets stolen there, it tends to have a a, a much larger app, uh, impact across much more, you know, a larger uh, when SaaS so, so when SaaS software source code, oh my God, try to get that out. <laughs> when the source code is stolen for popular applications used kind of in the SaaS platform, the attack plane is much wider. Like your impact is going to hit many, many more people. But when you're seeing like internal source code, you're able to really kind of debug or uh, understand how the application is used. You can gain way, way, way more information on and a company's internal processes, and that kind of feeds into that reconnaissance thing. And I think, you know, I guess the question is, Alex, how do you go about protecting those internal applications if you are that person who has internal tools, legacy, over-configured, never really had the kind of belt and braces approach that the SaaS applications of the modern day have? I think there's two sides to it, right? It's either the legacy stuff that you just haven't been able to get rid of yet, or you've got some shadow IT, some you know, some in-house apps that you've made for some random reason that you need um go back to use cases you know have a look yeah. at what you're trying to protect and why you're trying to protect it and definitely make sure you've got visibility logging and monitoring you have to get that in place for these applications and just think about where you want people to go um what, what you don't want users to do is there accounts that you don't want used is there access that you don't want touched certain areas that shouldn't talk to so other areas you, you can re you can take it back to basics with lo logging and monitoring and alerting and actually help that's a really good point and i just want to like touch on that lastly and just say like the phrase internal application can have connotations or people can understand it as you know fully fledged applications that have you know a front end a back end they might have api calls they can be sometimes perceived as quite complex setups that's not actually true like a simple script that i don't know cleans up a file server and archives of files or Know, crunches numbers in a spreadsheet and uploads them out to a database or or other forms of you know internal homemade automation type tooling is are considered internal applications so you know really do question especially if you're a SOC where you know many security engineers are out there building tooling for their team or processes that speed up their team and that's considered an internal application no matter how noddy no matter how hacky it is if your team are relying on it, you still need to have that same attitude towards protecting uh, that application. You know, don't store credentials in your source code. Use environment variables. Don't have you know, you know, stupidly permissive service accounts if you're building things within the cloud. Uh, and all these sorts of things are really key to remember that applications don't have to be a billion dollar SaaS style SAP platform. It can be something simple and noddy that does the job and does it well. Yeah, and do just take it back to basic, basics. Just think logging and monitoring. What do I want to see? And really make sure you've got that visibility as well. So I'm going to preface this next article with, with a bit of a question. And this isn't a test, although I have seen many varying stats on this. Can you tell me, or what do you think, the average time a threat actor is in your network for before they complete their actions on objectives. And let's, 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 let's actually keep this down to like APTs. How long is an advanced persistent threat in your network before they complete their actions on objectives, on average? Oh God, it depends, I think. I'll take an, I'll t I'll take an opinion. 
I won't take a fact, but I need an answer. <laughs> well, that's kind of you. Thank you. <laughs> I think it depends. I really do. I think it could be hours. Uh, could be hours, really. If we're talking breakout time, we're talking from the time at which your first compromise happens uh, to the point that they jump to the end of the kill chain and do what they want to do. It could be hours, but it depends on the threat actor and their motivations, ultimately. See, you've gone way, way, way lower than I would have. I think, and I'm pretty sure I read on this somewhere, that an advanced persistent threat anyway is normally within your network for a matter of months before they complete their actions on objective. Okay, so before they do rather than before they can. Absolutely. Okay, yeah, understood. So they could be in your network. If they wanted to, it could be faster, but they can lurk and do some recon beforehand. Oh, yeah, like totally. We, I mean, we've all been in those kind of red team scenarios where they've managed to get domain admin within a matter of hours, if not days. Right, and you know once you have that, you can crack on and do whatever you want to with ease. But no, like to, to go back to the initial point, you know, advanced persistent threats tend to be in your network for a matter of months, learning, understanding, conducting reconnaissance, before they go and do anything, especially with the new kind of ransomware, um, double extortion style attacks. They're normally in your network for a little while, finding the right data to steal, ex exfiltrating it, and then encrypting as they leave, right? That, you know, yes, it can take hours, but often takes a little longer than that. The reason why I wanted to mention that is there's an article that's been kind of floating around about Qbot, or also known as CACBOT or QuackBot, Cac uh, which is a, a form of malware. Um, that only needs about 30 minutes to start stealing your credentials, your emails, and a host of other sensitive details. So according to a new report that called the DFIR report, Qbot was performing these quick data snatching strikes back in October 2021, and now appears that the threat actors behind it have returned to similar tactics. More specifically, the analysts report that it takes half an hour for the adversaries to steal browser data and emails from your Outlook and about 50 minutes before they jump into an adjacent workstation. What do you make of that? Like, we, we, we spoke about people being in your network straight away or simple malware. What, what do you think this means and what's the impact of something being happening so quickly now? I think you really have to make sure your time to detect is absolutely spot on as, as well as your time to respond. And, you know, your, your metrics as a SOC, you need to be sort of well-versed and well-rehearsed. But actually, you also need to make sure your visibility is spot on. Because if we are looking at the timeline of this of, of these events, we can see some of this activity starts happening within minutes. And if you haven't got the correct visibility into some of these areas, you're actually going to miss this activity completely. That's what I was going to say. Well, let's, let's, let's touch on this, right? So uh, initial execution for Qbot happens, you know, let's say, well, let's go off the article. Initial execution happens at 17 minutes past two in the afternoon, right? One minute later... Privilege escalation is then seen via a scheduled task. There's then, what, around 10 minutes before there's further reconnaissance happening based on their foothold into that network and environment. And almost at the same time, uh, sensitive information such as the LSAS is accessed by an infected Qbot process. Then what happens next? What's that, around another 10 minutes, another 20 minutes later? About 20 minutes later, Collection and exfiltration of emails and browser data happens. And then another 20 minutes later, there's lateral movement onto adjacent workstations and the affection chain continues. It is pretty, you know, scary to know that this is how quickly these things can happen. And that goes exactly down to what you said. Your breakout time of a couple of hours is getting even, even shorter, especially when 
you know, most workstations these days tend to have the same sort of format. Like Chrome is the go-to browser, Windows is the go-to OS. There are probably other core applications and things that people do and locations to go where you can just go, right, bish, bash, bosh, 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 go and collect this. I probably have enough to do some damage with. Yeah, the, but the thing is, there's so much happening on this timeline. And all I see at each step in this timeline is, you know, where would we get the equivalent logging? What would we see each stage? So, you know, we're running through initial malware delivery. Uh, it then creates persistence. It does some privilege escalation. It then does some exfiltration. You know, everything at that stage would or should actually leave a trace. So thinking about as much as it is quite scary thinking about how fast this sort of thing is happening, if you have the correct visibility in place and your SOC team is of a certain maturity, this is actually going to cause quite a lot of noise. It's going to light up like a Christmas tree because there's so much happening within quick succession. And it's something that's also going to help you differentiate between a true positive and a, and a false positive. Because it's a lot of correlation, right? You're seeing certain things happen within quick succession. And any analyst worth their bottom dollar is going to be able to or should be able to do this correlation. So actually, as much as it is really, really scary, this sort of alert in a mature and a sock that's figured correctly will light up a Christmas tree and there'll be a lot of stuff to see in an ideal world anyway. Well, thank you, Ed. I enjoyed the conversation. I thought that was really, really good. Um, keeping it short and sweet for a sort of first episode back of season three, first episode of 2022. Hoping next time we can come back uh, with Will joining us as well. Just in terms of key takeaways this week, I will go first. And my key takeaway is in relation to what we spoke about with regards to legacy applications. If you do have some legacy legacy applications and you may be thinking because they're old, because they're so heavily customized that you're not able to secure them, have, have a think about what logging you may be able to get out of them. Can you push some logs into a seam? Where can you get those logs? Because they're still gonna, they're still gonna be a target and doesn't matter if they're not up to date, especially because they're not up to date. If someone gets a foothold in your environment, they're one of the first places they may be to try and pivot off is your legacy applications that you have no visibility over. Well, would you look at that? Who'd have ever thought that you would be going first on key takeaways? But uh, there we go. New things can happen in the new year. Anyway, I'll give you my key takeaway. I'm going to stick with the point around the critical national infrastructure and take a little bit of a twist on it. My key takeaway here is that if you're working for an organisation that provides key services to people, small businesses, organisations for them to make some form of income or some form of living from the services they use through you, how are you doing your best to protect those people's ability to still use your service? And you know what do you need to be doing within your role? What can you influence within your role to make sure that you are doing everything you can to best protect the organisation? And I mean, it's, it's to be said quite simply, if you are working for a CNI, um, we hope that nothing major happens, but, you know, uh, really do focus on uh, that key message behind the NCSE's guidance around ransomware attacks growing at the moment and keep your eyes out for that badness happening in and around your networks. Well, that wraps up the podcast here. As Alex said, I want to thank all of you for listening. We'll be back with a bang over the next few 
weeks or so with our traditional bi-weekly podcast with Will and the whole gang back together. We want to thank you for listening and we will catch you all in the next episode.